Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit, who was released to us with the resurrection and now abides and lives in us, we pray that your Holy Spirit will help your word come alive to us. Help us to understand the resurrection, but more importantly, help us to encounter Jesus afresh. May he be more real to us as we dig into your word. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. As we celebrate this Easter Sunday, we come to the end of Mark's Gospel. You may remember last year that I finished a series in Mark's Gospel that went from chapters 1 to 8. One of the reasons why we stopped at chapter 8 is because it has a wonderful central confession of who Jesus is. Mark's Gospel all the time is asking us, who is Jesus? Time and time again we're presented uh, evidence and, and counter-evidence and we have to make up our mind. In the middle of the gospel, we have Peter's confession. And it's important for us to revisit that because there's a confession too at the foot of the cross. So let's look at these two confessions as we come to the resurrection. The first confession is found for us in Mark chapter 8 from verse 27. Mark chapter 8 from verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. And you see, Mark's challenging us, he's saying, other people say this and other people say that. I'm not interested in what other people say. What do you say? Who is Christ to you? And straight away after this confession, the tone of the gospel changes. Thick storm clouds gather on the horizon as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem. Three times on the way, he makes it very clear to his disciples that he must go up to Jerusalem and there he will suffer many things and be betrayed and killed but will rise again on the third day. And his disciples have no idea what Jesus is talking about. And eventually, after five chapters, Jesus not only has arrived at Jerusalem and spent a week teaching and preaching, but he's been betrayed in the garden. He's been tried in a very unjust trial, and he is on the cross. And so we pick up that story as Jesus breathes his last in Mark Chapter 15. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now what's all this about? The curtain torn in two. Well, Ryan did a wonderful explanation of this on Friday with his Good Friday message. And if you haven't heard that, I suggest that you go online and you listen, you watch that sermon. But just to briefly recap. In the temple was a curtain. It was about 10 centimetres thick and it was about 15 metres high and it hung in a central place in the curtain. And behind that temple veil was a gold-covered chest, the Ark of the Covenant. Either end of the covenant was an angel with outstretched arms facing the centre of that chest, the Ark of the Covenant. And then the outstretched wings of these two angels and above the Ark of the Covenant, uh, was the Shekinah glory, the presence of God. 
in the Holy of Holies. And so when Jesus breathed his last and the, the curtain was ripped from top to bottom, this was supernatural. It's not like someone could get a stepladder and, and go up to your curtains and rip it from the top to bottom. It was physically impossible. The curtain was too thick. It was too high. This was an act of God to show that everything had changed and that God's spirit was not restricted now to a temple of brick and stone and mortar, but was now going to live in a temple of people. And of course, Pentecost is all about the Holy Spirit coming on God's people and dwelling with them. But I get ahead of myself in many respects but that's such an important part of the crucifixion story. But what happens next? Something most surprising. Verse 39. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. And here we have the second great confession of the gospel of Mark. Peter, a Jew in chapter 8, had confessed that this was the son of God. And here now at the foot of the cross, a Gentile, a hardened centurion, Roman officer, declares the same. Surely this was the Son of God. And this is the second climax for Mark, the crucifixion of Christ and the confession of the Gentile centurion that Christ is the Lord. But there's a problem. There's a huge problem because the Son of God, well, he's breathed his last. He's dead. I mean, this is no way to finish the gospel, that Christ, the Son of God, that Mark has been declaring, ends up lifeless in a tomb. Surely this is the worst ending of the most amazing story ever. Surely this is Satan's highest victory and heaven's lowest defeat. But Mark doesn't finish here, he continues. And so we pick this up in verse 40. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome in Galilee. These women had followed Jesus and cared for his needs. Not much help really, is it? Because Jesus is still dead and some of his closest followers are now bereft, grieving. But they stay and they watch. And then Mark goes on to tell us how Jesus was taken down from the cross and buried in a tomb. And chapter 15 ends with verse 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And because the next day was Sabbath, the Saturday, the woman could not go and tend to Jesus' body. They had to wait an extra day until first thing on Sunday morning, the beginning of the week. And we pick this up in chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on the way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Yes, the woman who had followed Jesus, who had cared for his needs, who had watched his last breath and saw where he was laid, now make their way to the tomb to anoint his body with spices and perfumes. But as they travel, they say to themselves, who can remove that large stone? We pick this up in verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And not only were they surprised, but 
this did not bode well. Why was the tomb unkept? Had Jesus's body been interfered with? And so the women are confused. But this soon turns to alarm because in verse 5, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. I mean, this was the last thing that they expected. There's, there's no body and there is a young man. And, and who is this young man? Well, the other Gospels make it clear, but Mark, well, he doesn't give us any information apart from dressed in white and sitting on the right side. And this gives us the impression that this is an heavenly person, an angel. Now, the woman, they have no time to speculate because this young man has something to say. Verse 6, don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they have laid him. Sensing the f- their fear, the young man first reassures the woman, do not be alarmed. And then he goes from reassurance to wonderful news. Jesus is not here. He has been raised from the dead. See, the tomb is empty. And the young man then gives these women some instructions. Verse 7. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And so the the angel is saying to the woman, go, tell Jesus' friends this good and wonderful news and that he will meet with you all. However, the woman are afraid. And the gospel ends leaving us, the the readers, most perplexed. Let's look at verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And here here the gospel finishes. If this was a movie, the credits would, would start rolling. Mark finishes gospel abruptly. He signs off with bewildered and fearful women who do not follow the angel's instructions. And this is... So different from the other Gospels, this abrupt ending. And so we're going to explore why Mark does this, especially when compared to the other Gospels. And now before we do, you might say, well, Douglas, in my Bible, I've got another 12 verses, verses 9 that go through to 20 that tie up the loose ends. Uh, But you also find in your Bible a footnote that explains that this ending from verse 9 on is not found in the earliest and most reliable manuscripts. The ending that we have in our Bibles from verse 9 on has been added afterwards. So, how are we to make sense of this abrupt ending of Mark's Gospel? Well, there's two questions, and it's answering these two questions that will help us understand why Mark finishes this off so abruptly. The first question is, Why is the empty tomb the only evidence for the resurrection? Why is the empty tomb the only evidence of the resurrection in Mark's gospel? And the second question is, why are the woman left bewildered and afraid and not telling the disciples that Jesus is raised from the dead? That's our second question. Why leave the woman confused and disobedient? So let's go to that first question. Why an empty tomb is the only evidence of the resurrection? The other Gospels go into great pains and detail 
to show that Jesus was resurrected. And all the other Gospels, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears, talks with, even eats with the disciples. He spends time explaining what the resurrection means and what they're to do next, but not, not in Mark. Why is he doing this? Well, it goes back to that original question. Who is Jesus to you? Mark's original question. And he leaves this open-ended. He's saying, here's the empty tomb. Who is Jesus to you? Do you believe that the tomb was empty or do you believe that Jesus is in a grave somewhere in Palestine? Who is Jesus to you? It's quite powerful, quite a risky strategy. And it's the same with the woman. The other gospel go to great pains to show that as the woman travelled back to the city, they came to their senses and they did go to Peter and the disciples with the good news. But not here. And again, the answer is very similar. It's all to challenge us, to make us work harder, to think harder about who Jesus is. It's like Mark is saying, now Douglas, here's the empty tomb and here are some of his closest followers who haven't, who don't know what to do, who, who can't make head nor tail, in fact, who are afraid. But what about you? Do you believe that Christ rose from the dead? And as I said, this is both a compelling and a risky strategy by Mark. It's compelling because it forces us to work hard. It means that we can't just walk away from this Jesus story and say, well, I don't believe it or I do. He's making us work hard. But it's also a risky strategy because there's the risk that whoever reads the gospel, that we we might miss the point and just think, what a stupid story. I don't understand. It's all muddly. Now, the other gospel writers, they don't take this tack. Uh, Mark's gospel was written first, and Matthew and Luke, without a doubt, had a copy of Mark's gospel when they were writing their gospel. And so they had plenty of time to work out how they're going to end the story, and they don't take that risk. Uh, they tie up a lot of the loose ends and give a very satisfying end to the gospel story. But not Mark. He's first off the block, and he puts a lot of confidence in you and I that we will wrestle with this until we work it out. And so here we are. We're at the end of Mark's gospel. What do we have at the end? Well, we have an empty tomb and some bewildered woman and that challenge about who is Jesus. And so how are we to make sense of this? What are the implications for us here in 2020, in lockdown with a global crisis, a pandemic that none of us have experienced in our lifetimes. How are we to make things? Well, two things as we finish this morning. Two things. First of all, we're reminded of the ongoing, timeless relevance of the resurrection. John Stott, the well-known preacher and teacher, was often challenged about why he kept preaching about the cross and the resurrection. And he would often reply that, there is nothing more up-to-date than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by that he meant every generation. You don't have to make the resurrection relevant to every generation. Every generation will sense that it's relevant, like for us now as we consider the global crisis. And in New Zealand, we are one of the most secular countries in the West And as such, as people's worlds crumble around them, our secular world has nothing to offer people. I mean, you think of people who put their trust in their jobs and their careers and their businesses. You know, and the economy's been going so well, but within a matter of a week, two weeks, 
so many people have lost their jobs and they don't know where they're going to be paying their bills. Businesses are on the edge and we, and we don't know how many are going to open when the lockdown finishes or in another two or three months, how many will collapse. And that rug has been ripped under so many people and the secular world has nothing to offer those folk. And what are those about those folk who put their trust in family? And that's their, in their life. And now we are restricted to our bubbles. And if one of our loved ones falls ill, well, if it's a normal natural illness, we may or may not be able to see them before they die. If they fall ill and die of the COVID-19, well, we certainly won't be able to be with them when they die. And then what do we do about the funeral? Yeah, and some people's worlds are crumbling. And what about health? I mean, Secular New Zealand trusts in a modern health system, trusts that it will cure us from almost all illnesses except for the very worst. And yet our health system really has nothing much to offer except maybe a ventilator to help us breathe if we get really bad. And so many people in New Zealand's secular worldview is being tested and found wanting and is crumbling. Yet up against this, we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is timeless and relevant. Because for those who look to Jesus and have asked him to be their personal saviour, he is our rock and our refuge. Not, not our bank balance, not our careers, not our families, uh, not our health, but the resurrected Jesus Christ. He is our refuge and our rock. He is our rock when the rest of the people in the world, their life is crumbling apart. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus is our refuge. When other people have nowhere to run, we know where to run to and to rest Christ is our refuge and our rock because he is raised from the dead. It's like we are in a transit lounge. You know, if we're traveling from here, say, to London, and we we stop off at Singapore, lovely place to stop off, lovely transit lounge, you know, transit facilities. But we know it's temporary. No matter how lovely it is or no matter how grim it is, we are in a transit lounge. We're following Christ now, and he will lead us on into bigger and wonderful things and glory. The up-to-date relevance of the resurrection has becoming crystal clear, coming into focus as we face this global crisis. And this is good news, good news that we need to, to share with others. And it's my prayer that this crisis won't be wasted, that people both inside the church and outside the church will realize whatever they've been trusting in that is not Christ is faulty and useless and that Jesus is the only way, the resurrected Jesus is the only way. So that's our first take home. The up-to-date, timeless relevance of the resurrection, especially in the face of crisis. What about our second and our last take home? Well, it's the answer to that question, Mark's gospel. The question that he's asking all the time, who is Jesus? See, Mark's put his pen down. He's, he's signed off. He's taken a big risk and he's challenged us to work hard to work out whether Christ rose from the dead and if he's the son of God. And all through his gospel, he's shown us alternatives. He said, well, uh, the crowd, they think he's a good man and he's a teacher. And I've shown you this. And is that who Jesus is to you? And a lot of people, they think Jesus is a good man and that he's a teacher. And Mark's done a second thing. He's shown us all through his gospel, the religious leaders who think that Jesus is a fraud, a fake, a blasphemer. He's shown us that and he said, well, is this who Jesus is? And, and a number of people today think that Jesus was a fraud. And thirdly, Mark has shown us that Jesus is the son of God. 
Peter the Jew confessed it. The centurion, the hardened soldier, the Gentile, he confessed it. And now, at the end of the gospel, we have an empty tomb and a young man dressed in white saying, he's not here, Jesus has risen. And Mark's not interested in what other people think about Jesus. He's interested in what you think about Jesus. No one can answer this question, the most important question that you will ever answer. And so today it's my prayer that that the Holy Spirit has moved your heart and your minds and that you are ready, if you haven't already, to take Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Saviour. This Easter Sunday, with Christ resurrected, the tomb is empty, a young man declaring that Christ is risen, who do you think Jesus is? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Christ rose from the grave on that first Easter Sunday. We thank you that your Holy Spirit stirred us and made that come alive to us, and we pray that Jesus will become more and more real in these coming days. Lord, we again reaffirm our trust and our confidence in Christ the risen Lord, knowing that no matter what difficulties we face, no matter how worried we are about family and friends, no matter how uncertain these days are, you are our rock and our refuge. Help us, Lord, not only to be confident and to trust in you, but to be ready to share this good news with those those that are struggling. May we be like that young man who faithfully declared the tomb is empty, Jesus is not here. May we declare the risen Jesus Christ and his love and care into people's lives. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.